Several years ago, there was a TV show called Saving Grace, starring Academy Award winner Holly Hunter. It was sort of like a raunchy version of Touched by an Angel for the well-being of your own soul. I don't recommend the show. But, but in the show, there was a redneck angel named Earl, and he is sent from heaven to save the lives of people who are otherwise hell-bent on destroying themselves. And one of these people that Earl is sent to rescue is a prisoner on death row uh, whose name is Leon. Earl the angel meets with Leon in his prison cell regularly and Earl gives Leon encouragement and hope. In one episode, however, we learn that Leon has been cheating on his Christian angel, Earl. It turns out Leon's been meeting with a Muslim imam and reading the Quran behind Earl's back. Leon has decided to convert to Islam. Earl finds out about it, and at first he seems angry and hurt. He challenges Leon to go ahead and convert to Islam if that's what he wants to do. So before uh, Leon recites whatever words he has to recite in order to become Muslim. Leon tells his angel, well, I guess this is it. Thanks for everything you've done for me. And then Leon makes his Muslim profession of faith. And guess what happens next? Earl is still sitting there in the prison cell next to Leon. He greets Leon with an Arabic greeting. Leon looks confused. Why are you still here? Aren't you a Christian angel? Earl laughs. Humans, you get so hung up on all these religious differences. They all lead to the same place, you know. They all lead to the same place. I share this with you as a warning because the writers and producers of this TV show were simply reflecting what most people in our culture believe, that it doesn't really matter whether you follow Jesus or Mohammed or Buddha or Vishnu or Brahma or Moses, just so long as you're sincere. If you're sincere enough and if you're a good person, whatever that means, you'll be okay, you'll be saved. However, that particular religion defines being okay or being saved. Because according to our culture, these different religions are paths to the same destination, to the same God. I, I simply don't know, I can't imagine what our culture would make of today's scripture. Needless to say, if Jesus is telling the truth about final judgment, about hell, about eternal life or eternal punishment in today's scripture, and he is telling the truth, then I'm hardly exaggerating when I say that our response to Jesus's words here will be the most important thing we can do in our life because obviously our life on this side of death and resurrection is the most infinitesimally small blip in light of eternity. To say the least, Jesus' words in today's scripture are sobering, challenging, even frightening. They're, they're intended to be. So we need to hear 
and to heed the warning for all of us, including especially us professing Christians, those of us who've grown up in church, who've grown up living in the buckle of the Bible belt, who've, who've been confirmed, who've been baptized, who've made a profession of faith, who've walked down the aisle of church and prayed a sinner's prayer, because Jesus is primarily speaking to us. His words apply to everyone who's ever lived in the history of the world, but he is particularly concerned in today's scripture with us churchgoers. Why do I say this? Because all three parables in Matthew chapter 25, the wise and foolish virgins, the talents, and the sheep and the goats, they're all about final judgment. They're all about the division between those who will spend eternity with Christ and those who will be separated from him eternally. And they're all directed toward people who seem, by all outward appearances, to be believers in Jesus, disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. They are directed to people like you and me. Indeed, sheep and goats, by all outward appearances, look and act a lot alike. It's often hard for casual observers to tell them apart. And that's Jesus's point. It's often hard to tell authentic Christians from people who are Christians in name only. Obviously, it's not hard for Jesus to distinguish one group from another, but for everyone else, it's hard to tell. So, so that's why this scripture ought to be a wake-up call. Are we like the sheep or are we like the goats? And how do we know the difference? There's a famous song about today's scripture from 1981 by a great singer-songwriter named Keith Green. He was a pioneer of contemporary Christian music. He died in 1982, tragically, in a plane crash. But he wrote and recorded some of the most convicting and theologically rich Christian songs of his generation. And, and one of them is called The Sheep and the Goats. And the last line of this long dramatic song, which recounts today's parable, has Green saying these words. And my friends, the only difference between the sheep and the goats, according to this scripture, is what they did and didn't do. Is that true? Is that the only difference? Because if so, I'm in trouble. And so are you. And so is Keith Green for that matter. I mean, as some of you know, I bleed white and gold. I love my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and I've been going to football games for decades. I haven't gone this year because of COVID, but it is football season. And if it were a normal year, I would be reporting to you what happened yesterday on a typical Saturday in the fall in Midtown Atlanta. You see, when I walk to Bobby Dodd Stadium in Midtown, I pass probably a dozen panhandlers along the way. And I would probably have to tell you, uh, if it were a typical fall Saturday, that I did not give them money. Or if I gave one of them money, I didn't give the 11 others anything. The truth is I often pass panhandlers on city streets without giving money. Sometimes I do, 
But who am I kidding? Even when I do, it's not like I feel good about it. It's not like I'm, I'm feeling warm feelings of Christ-like love and compassion in my heart. I'm usually judging people. I'm judging them rightly or wrongly. How have they messed up their lives so much to be in this situation? I'm not proud of this, brothers and sisters. I'm just telling you the truth. I know what's in my heart. And even when I give money, I'm usually wondering and worrying that the person asking for it is taking advantage of me, that he or she is lying to me. And then, and then, if I give money to them, I worry that there are other people, people like me, who are watching and judging me because unlike them, I'm the sucker who's dumb enough to give them money. Well, that's just one small example of a way in which I fail to feed the hungry or give water to the thirsty or welcome the stranger or clothe the naked or visit the sick or visit those in prison. My point is, even if I genuinely do it unto the least of these, this much of the time, I know that there are so many opportunities in which I fail to do it unto the least. So if Keith Green is right, that the only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and didn't do, then it's hard for me to see how I'm not bound for hell. And I take no comfort whatsoever in the way I've usually heard this scripture preached. And you've probably heard it preached this way too. Be like the sheep. Don't be like the goats. After all, when you do it unto the least of these, you're really doing it unto Jesus himself. But that can't be the right application of this scripture. It just can't be. Why? Because look at 30, verses 37 through 39. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Please notice the people regarded as sheep in this scripture had no idea that they were doing anything special. They certainly didn't know that in doing it unto the least of these, they were doing it unto Jesus. They were unaware, they were oblivious. And yet we preachers tell our congregations, be aware of the fact that when you perform these acts of kindness, you're really doing them for Jesus. That's a contradiction. The moment you become aware that you're doing it unto Jesus is the very moment you're no longer acting like a sheep. Does this make sense? I can't command you to be like a sheep because if you try to be like a sheep and you start thinking, I need to be like a sheep, I need to be like a sheep, I need to be like a sheep. The moment you start thinking that way, you're no longer acting like a sheep because the sheep are unaware that they're doing anything special, much less doing something special for Jesus himself. Besides, if we know that we're doing it unto Jesus, and if that's our motivation, then we will be acting just like the goats. Look at how the goats respond in verse 44. 
Then they will also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? The subtext of the goat's objection is clear. Lord, we didn't know that that hungry man was you. We didn't know that that naked person was you. We didn't know that that sick person was you. We didn't know that that prisoner was you because obviously if we had known, we would have gladly done the compassionate deed. So if you do something because you know you're doing it unto Jesus, you're acting like a goat. Again, as I suggested earlier, it seems like we're in trouble. And here's the problem. Our problem is we read this parable and we think, we think of it not as the parable of the sheep and the goats, but as the parable of the good sheep and the bad sheep. We read this parable and say, oh no, I'm not doing any of these things. I'm a goat. I need to go volunteer at a soup kitchen right away. Then I'll become a sheep. But what you're trying to do is impossible, isn't it? Because there's absolutely nothing that a goat can do to turn himself into a sheep. He can change his appearance to look more like a sheep. He can change his behavior to act more like a sheep. He can change his voice to sound more like a sheep. But guess what? He will still be a goat. If, by contrast, we imagine that Jesus is telling us the, the parable of the good sheep and the bad sheep, well, if you're a bad sheep, then you can change your behavior. You can do things through God's grace um, to become a good sheep. That's very possible. But a goat can never become a sheep. They are different species. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Not good sheep and bad sheep but sheep and goats. He's not telling us a story mostly about our behavior. He's telling us a story mostly about our identity. We don't do these good deeds in order to become sheep. We do these good deeds because we already are sheep. To put it another way, these acts of compassionate love are the fruits of being sheep. They are not the roots of being sheep. They're the fruits, not the roots. Jesus makes this point in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. He says, you will recognize them, that's us, Christians, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Good fruit does not make a tree healthy. Good fruit is a sign of a tree that is already healthy. Or how about the parable, the famous parable of the Good Samaritan? And I need you to see this. So if you have your Bibles, and you should, please turn to Luke chapter 10. I, I want to look at this parable in verses 25 to 37. Most of you know it already but I need you to see a verse in there. So turn your Bibles to it. Um, but you know the story. Uh, you have a man on the side of the road who's been beaten and robbed and left for dead. Two deeply religious people see him on the side of the road, but they, instead of helping him, they, they pass him by. Um, a, a priest and a Levite. 
A Samaritan, by contrast, stops to help at great risk to his life and his personal safety and at great personal expense. Okay, so what's the difference between the Samaritan and the two religious men? Well, that's easy, we say. The Samaritan stopped to help and did these good things, and the other two didn't. But that can't be right, because look at verse 33, Luke chapter 10, verse 33. There's an important word in that verse, which in Greek, from what I've read, sits at the very center of the parable. And that word is compassion. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The main difference between the Samaritan and the two religious men isn't what they did or didn't do. The main difference is that one of them had compassion. One of them possessed this quality in their heart. They had this thing in their heart that nobody could see, and the other two didn't have that thing. But you can't really change what's in your heart. You can do all the good deeds you want, but, but you can't change what's in your heart. And the heart of the parable of the Good Samaritan, like the heart of the parable of the sheep and the goats, is the heart. <laughs> That's the problem, the heart. So let me tell you the truth about my own heart. Apart from God's free gift of grace, I am someone who is hungry. I'm desperately hungry for the bread of life that Jesus Christ offers me, the food that endures to eternal life. Apart from God's grace, I am someone who is thirsty, desperately thirsty for the living water that Jesus Christ offers me, which, when I drink it, will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Apart from grace, I'm a stranger who desperately needs Jesus Christ to prepare a room for me in his Father's house, who will take me to live with him there forever. Apart from grace, I am naked, and I desperately need Jesus to clothe me in garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness, as Isaiah says. Apart from grace, I'm sick. I'm sick with my own sinfulness, and I desperately need Jesus Christ, the great physician, to heal me forever so that even when I die, I'll still be well. Apart from grace, I'm in prison because of my sin. I'm enslaved to it, and I desperately need Jesus Christ to proclaim liberty to the captives, captives like me, to set me free with the truth of his gospel message. When I consider just how needy I am apart from God's grace, I know that I too am the least of these alongside all these others, and so are you. Our needs may not be physical like the needy people that Jesus mentions, or they may be that as well. But look at it this way. You know who the neediest people in the world are right now. Not necessarily the ones who suffer physically in this world, but the ones who will face Jesus Christ, our King, on Judgment Day. Without having received this 
free gift of forgiveness, this gift of new birth, this gift of eternal life that is ours through Christ's death and resurrection. Remember I said earlier that there's, there's nothing a goat can do to become a sheep. I should have said there's nothing a goat can do to become a sheep apart from divine intervention, apart from a miracle. It takes a miracle for a goat to become a sheep. Fortunately, that's what God has done for us in Christ. No one in the history of the world was able to do all these sheep-like things and avoid doing all these goat-like things except for Christ. He was the sheep that we are unable to be. He was the sheep on our behalf. In fact, the Bible uses special language to describe the kind of sheep he was. He was the lamb. In Isaiah 53, which prophesies Christ, it says, like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In the first chapter of John's gospel, when John the Baptist sees his cousin Jesus coming, he tells his own disciples, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Revelation chapter 7 describes saints and angels worshiping this Lamb, and it says that the robes that the saints are wearing have been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. It is only the blood of the Lamb that cleanses us from sin, not anything we do. In fact, as John the Baptist implies, Jesus Christ, our Lamb, took away our sins, died for our sins, paid the penalty for our sins. He takes away our sin and shame and guilt. And because of that, now when Satan, our accuser, tries to blackmail us with those words of guilt and fear, when he says to us, you're not feeding the hungry enough. You're not clothing the naked enough. You're not visiting the sick enough. You're a goat, not a sheep. Get to work. Get to work now or you're not going to make the cut on judgment day. When he says that, now we can say to Satan, our accuser, you're right. If you judge me based on who I am and what I do, I am a goat on my own, apart from God's grace. I can't be a sheep. Apart from God's grace, I can't do all these amazing things. Fortunately for me, there is a sheep, a lamb, in fact, who could do it for me. And this lamb is the reason I can live my life with confidence and joy and peace rather than worry and fear and guilt. Amen? Listen, listen, good, compassionate, Christ-like work in this world is something Jesus calls us to do. So examine your heart, examine your life, see if you're living up to that, see if, if God is changing you from within so that that you are doing these things that Jesus talks about, or at least you're you're getting better at it. I mean, there should be signs in your life. Faith without works is dead, according to James chapter 2. By all means, um, you're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. So, of course, you're going to have good works 
that will result from a transformed heart which comes through faith in Christ. That is, I'm not denying that for a moment. The good works will follow, but, but these works themselves play no role in saving you. What saves you is God's free gift of salvation made available through Christ. So that's what I'm inviting you to receive if you haven't already. Amen. Almighty God, we do pray that anyone listening to this sermon who hasn't yet uh, received your free gift of eternal life in Christ, that they would open up their heart. They would see how they have failed to live up to your standards of love. They would confess that they have no hope apart from your son, and they would receive your son and be saved. I pray that that would happen even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in the Toccoa, Georgia area, I hope that you will come and worship with us at Toccoa First. We have live in-person worship every week and we also have online worship. Please see toccoafirstumc.org for more information.